0: Hey there, this is Emily.
1: And this is Rosa. Welcome to the Unchecked Podcast.
0: We are two women from two different countries who will talk about living life in their late 20s. Hey everyone, welcome back to our latest episode. Today, we are super excited to have a guest on today. Her name is Judy. Welcome, Judy. Yay, Hi everyone.
2: Up. Thanks for having me.
0: Judy's going to take us into the world of true crime. And the reason we say that is because she is a forensic biologist that's located in New York City, and we're going to step into her world of crime case files, research, DNA analysis, and so much more.
2: Um, so Judy, can you like first introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Judy. Uh, also based in New York, I am 30 and I have about six, seven years of forensic science experience under my belt in the biology unit. We do DNA testing and serology testing. Ooh, that sounds so exciting.
0: I, we really need to talk about this episode because Rosa loves true crime, Rosa, right?
1: I am so excited. I just finished binge watching Oh Murder, in the Building, so I have so many
2: questions.
0: We could start off and jump into our first one. So what made you decide to become a
2: forensic biologist? So the answer is going to be a little cliche. But uh, after watching CSI shows and all of those, I was interested. I didn't know if I wanted to be in the field, but definitely there was some passion for it. Then I got into high school. We had um, a forensic scientist for a teacher. We had the forensic science class. I loved it. It was amazing. So I decided to continue on that path in college. Um, I also majored in forensic science and in chemistry. And then now I'm here. (laughs) We had the same class. She was so good. She was basically the teacher's pet. We had Sirianni back in tech. Everyone was really good.
0: (laughs) No, no. Katie was essentially the teacher's pet in that class. So you were
2: basically destined.
1: Wow, that's so cool that like you actually liked something when you were really young and you stuck with it. Not many people get to say that.
2: Yeah, I really loved biology, like Mm -hmm. studying plants and playing with animals and whatnot um, in the backyard or whatever when I was a child. But I guess the passion just extended into forensic science.
0: Yeah. So I guess the follow question would be like, so how how did you start, right? Like what kind of industry or position were you in and how did you end up where you are now?
2: So all forensic scientists, regardless of the discipline, whether it be chemistry or biology, um, drug analysis, etc., cetera, you have to start off as a trainee. So you have to have first the bachelor's of science in some science degree. Mm-hmm. Then you start off as a trainee, you get about two years of experience um, training for court testimony, training in how to identify substances, using the instruments, um, all of that. And then you finally pass and then you get um, what we call titles of 1, 2, and 3 and above. Mm-hmm. Those are forensic scientist 1 titles where you have some type of additional duties and then you build on top of that until you get to be, you know, director, hopefully, one day of a laboratory.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. And so sometimes you go actually in front of a judge?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, part of my job is to testify in court. Um, so if you ever go to grand jury for um, a criminal case, you may see me <laughs> or a trial. You may also see me up front.
1: I am trying not to geek out too much and just like, oh, my God, <laughs> so cool.
0: So part, I guess part of... Where, how you work, right? You are in the lab. You are in the court. I am assuming you deal with a lot of personalities, right? So, what is the field like that you work in? You know, is it majority male led? Is it kind of a mixture of both? Like, who are the people that are part of the your world?
2: It's very interesting because on TV they try to portray, you know, crime scene laboratories as um, mostly males being in the upper level females Mm. in the lower level um recently they've been trying to do 50 50 but actually uh in the laboratory that i work in it's mostly female and i think it's true for other laboratories as well Um, mostly female um some males even in the class that i teach after work i teach at a university part-time um it's again mostly female, some males.
1: You know, it's interesting. I don't know if there has any parallel about the fact that most women are the ones that are obsessed with true crime. I think that we kind of want to put like it's like we're most likely victims of the, of of some violence. So it's like want to put like it's like okay, well, it's my turn to do something, you know, to help out. Yes, and so- women
2: are uh, meticulous. We tend to dwell on something longer. So I think that focus allows us to you know really be good forensic scientists. Of course. Men can do the same, um, but just more women in the field, as to my knowledge, at least.
1: Yes. I mean, honestly, I I think that I have a lot of friends that can use their, like, you know, Facebook stalking skills and to serve a murder.
2: (laughs) That's amazing. So actually they do have people who stalk like web pages and do like friends like IT people. They they have that job.
1: (laughs) You know what? I was actually thinking about it, like, because I'm a programmer and I got really into this show called Mr. Robot and he kinda is like It starts like a vigilante, kind of like, you know, finding people that are pedophiles, finding things online. And well, it's it's bad because it's kind of like on his own that he does these things. But I was like, oh, maybe I can be this person, but like actually inside the law.
2: I think you can. You can look into, if anyone is interested, um, FBI always has, you know, internships or like programs that they open up for other people to take part in. And I'm sure they have something about technology or IT in in their offices. That's insane. Insane.
0: i'm just thinking about like especially in your world can you tell us what a typical day looks like or yeah like what do you do in the lab like when do you go to court like from the beginning of investigating a crime all the way to the end? So
2: I don't personally go to crime scenes. The crime scene investigators collect whatever they think is important or the detectives come and then they give us evidence. From the point on when I receive an evidence, I have to know the case details. What happened in this case? What am I looking for? Mm-hmm. So if it's a rape kit and then I'm looking for semen on the inside the swabs or on the victim's clothing... Then I perform DNA testing, which is a four-step process. Um, Hopefully, if it's a rape kit, I get some male DNA from the sperm that is present. And then I run that. I get a DNA profile, enter it into CODIS. Um, If it gets a hit and we get the guy and the judge wants to, uh, not the judge, the assistant district attorney wants to prosecute, bring him to court, then I show up, I testify and that's it. <laughs> what are the general types of cases
0: that uh, you cover? So I'm assuming one of them is, you know, violence against women, rape. And like,
2: what other things are there? So we get sexual assaults. We get homicides. Uh, then we get the smaller cases like larcenies, burglaries, robberies. Sometimes we do get, um, uh, the word escapes my mind right now, but crimes against that happen internally, like internal investigations. Domestic um, violence? Um, oh. No, within the, the field that we work in. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's the gist of most of the things we get.
1: And I have a question. Is there something different about minors that you have to... When when the victim is a minor, is it a different unit or... Is there any difference? No, okay.
2: it is the same unit. Um, and actually, we um, have to look at every single sexual assault kit com- that comes in. And we do get sexual assault kits from, unfortunately, from minors. Usually little girls who have been assaulted by a family member.
1: Yeah, it must be tough. Love to look at this uh, this information every day but Alec, do you have coping mechanisms? Like, I mean, for me, I know that it's like maybe a vis hobby, but
2: for you, it's like your job. So, so uh, we work as a unit. There are about um, 10 to 12 of us that work together and we all get different cases, but we like to talk about the case details with each other amongst ourselves. And it just, you know, through the talking, we're allowed to mm. release some of the stress mm. so that we don't bring it home and it stays within the laboratory. But we know that as forensic scientists were trying the very best you know, to bring whoever it is to justice and bring bring some closure to the victim.
0: Yeah, so Katie, you talked about, you know, a lot of the crimes. Um, has anyone specifically reached out to you about a case that you had covered before?
2: I usually get contacted by the the assistant district attorneys to show up to court, but we don't disseminate personal information to any of our victims. However, we have gotten thank you letters from victims for the entire laboratory Just a general thank you, like bringing closure to them. What we do is really great, they say. Yes. And then how is it similar to like the true crimes we see on television? So there have been, and there always will be, outrageous crimes. We even look at them and we go, wow, we don't know what this guy's thinking. He's crazy. Um, So crimes, you never know what you get. As far as the science in the laboratory on TV, they solve cases in an instant, um, which is not always the case because DNA testing the entire process at least, um, from beginning to end, from the DNA extraction to the getting the DNA profile. If you work nonstop, you may get it in a day, a day and a half, but usually it takes about a week for us um, and then two weeks to push out a report or so. But we have uh at my laboratory at least we have about two months to complete one case nice
1: because sorry can you walk me through a little bit of like that dna testing like because you have to for example to, you have to find a match in us in the system right or so
2: um sort of so what i do is when i get the evidence i'm looking for any um serological presence uh, whether whether it be blood uh semen saliva um, nowadays, we also use touch DNA. So if you touch a bottle, or you, um, you touch something and you rub your hand on something, I could probably swab it probably find you. Wow, <laughs> um, if you're that. in the system, which I don't think you guys are. <laughs> so after that, we Rosa t- might be <laughs> <laughs> We will take a cutting of that physical evidence and we submit it for DNA extraction, meaning if it's an underwear and there was possibility of semen on it, we will extract the semen's DNA or the sperm DNA out and separate it from the victim's skin cells, which are on her underwear. And then we type or uh, we will um, find the DNA profile that came from all those cells from the sperm cells. And Um, we get a DNA profile, we enter that into CODIS. Sometimes we don't get hits. The hits only occur if that profile has previously been entered into CODIS, whether it be from another case or from someone who's already been convicted and is in jail.
0: So what happens if it's like a first-time offender and they're not in CODIS? Like, I guess the investigators would have to like reach out and like find these
2: people, right? Not necessarily, because um, if they're done with their investigation, then that's all they can do. What we can do on our end, if it's a first-time profile, Profile that we're entering we enter the evidence profile it stays in there in CODIS and it gets searched on a regular basis. So say this person, two years down the line, commits another crime, he gets entered, the match will show up in the system. So mm-hmm. say someone from Texas did um, a, a case and somehow the DNA profile matches the one that I did in New York two years ago. I'll know, they'll know, there's a connection, but there may not necessarily be a name. Anyway, these two profiles will sit in CODIS until we get a name.
1: Okay, and just so for our listeners, uh, CODIS is the combined DNA index System. That's the abbreviation for that. And I just have a question also about, for example, I think it was uh, this um, serial killer in LA that he got found out because one of his family members, like a, a um, like a nephew of his put his dna and they had his dna in the system and they were there was a match for you can do matches of like family familiarity right it's like oh that you know that you're related people are related and that's how you find people is that
2: possible or no it is possible uh we do family or familial testing for um missing persons so um If uh, a family member is deceased or missing um, or there was an unknown body that was found somewhere, we type that DNA, we enter into CODIS. If it hits someone who was in CODIS because they were entered because they had a missing family member, then that's how we identify the deceased. Um, I haven't heard of us using family members to convict a person if if actually I, I take that back we did have a case where we use the uncle to type the uh offender so yes it is possible damn <laughs>
0: So what, I mean, this might be a very obvious answer. So what happens to the cases that are just not, where the they can't identify the perpetrator? I'm, I'm assuming you just can't convict him and he's just in the system until, like, as you mentioned, years later, they find someone.
2: So we can only, we only have his DNA profile in the system and we know where it came from, what case it's associated to, but we never have a name um, mm-hmm. and we'll never know unless, you know, for some reason, he gets arrested and entered into CODIS. Some states will enter enter people if they get arrested other states enter them into codis if they're convicted so it's mm. different
1: yes that, i was just gonna ask that because every single state is different right according to like the freedom of um i don't know what it is i watched way too much true crime sometimes i don't even remember but there was a case in wisconsin and they were saying that because they couldn't keep the dna this guy kept doing what he was doing he was like a serial killer until they finally he finally got convicted for something and then they were finally able to keep his DNA. And then the next time he committed something and then they find him out, then they had a match. So-, so
2: there are a lot of rules that come with using CODIS because it is an FBI database. So we have to follow a lot of mm-hmm. FBI rules. Mm-hmm. And there's something that that's called CODIS eligibility for entering profiles. So um, just in general, um, to be very brief about it you can only enter a profile into CODIS if it's associated with a crime so say um, there was a stabbing and um, the the offender was caught on camera wearing a mask and the police get there and detectives get there and they see you know a mask that wasn't there Prior to this crime, they found out that information. They may be able to collect that mask and we maybe enter it, maybe enter it into CODIS. Um, if you have a stolen car um, and um, they find the car and then there's a, a smoked cigarette right outside the car, that cigarette cannot be entered into CODIS because we don't know if it was involved in that crime directly. And it's
1: also to protect people, like, right? right?
2: Because Correct. you don't want yes. everyone's information. Yes. We're not, we're yeah. going to avoid entering profiles of innocent people or people who don't have anything to do with that crime. Isn't there always such like a gray line between what you can
0: or cannot enter? I mean, the cigarette one is a very obvious example, but have there been instances, if you can share, if not, we can totally skip this question, where there's a
2: lo- line and, you're, and you and have to decide whether or not it, it's going to be entered. So um, some cases do fall in that gray area and each laboratory has um, a CODIS administrator who you know, is in charge of all of this um, entering profiles, checking in the profiles, um, managing all the searches and the hits, we go to that person for any questions. And if she or he has any questions that they can't answer, then they go to someone beyond them in FBI and um, they get answered there.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I feel like they, they have like you need to have these processes. If not, then you couldn't be able to rule out or rule in and time is of the essence Right, because you want to figure. Do you want to see if you can put it in the system as soon as possible?
2: Yes, always as soon as possible. There are a lot of rules that govern all forensic laboratories. Um, We're accredited. We're governed by FBI, QAS, and biology. Um, Other disciplines like chemistry have other governing bodies and other rules.
0: There are a lot of rules that we have to follow. Yeah, and you know, you talked about. Are you, are you doing this by yourself or are you like with a team? And then how many cases are you really handling on a day? If you can share that.
2: So it's different per laboratory. Um, and even on a weekly basis, we accept evidence every, um, every week. So it comes in the same day every week. Um, we get different number of cases sometimes, you know, and upwards of like 20 something and other times we get maybe single digits. It really depends on what happened that week and how many cases we accept. Um, But each analyst will have their own case and they work with it. Um, Sometimes we do additional testing. So a case that we've gotten, you know, back in um, December of last year, we're probably still working on it because the detectives have collected additional evidence and they're sending it in. And we're looking to see what else we can get.
0: And from these, (laughs) we had one question that we shared with you before, but like, what do you recommend in terms of like tips for folks to protect themselves, right? Or like, what are the types of crime you've been seeing uptake recently in New York?
2: Uh, especially during the pandemic, I noticed that um more child rape cases unfortunately um and usually family members or someone who lives with the child at home um and Rosa actually mentioned before um women tend to be more victims of these crimes, and she's right historically we've always been more subjected to rape um not that men don't get raped, but women are more subjected to rape cases. um, We're vulnerable. Uh, Men take advantage. People take advantage of women more. So it's just, it's more, it's more like we have to just pay attention to our surroundings. Be aware of where you are, where you're going. Never go somewhere, you know, you're not familiar with alone and always have a backup. I always, Mm -hmm. if a friend of mine goes somewhere new, I always keep tabs on them and then you know if they ever call me we have a code word like some weird word like oh cheesy or cheese or you know something that doesn't fit in the conversation but the other some other people around her wouldn't know what we were talking about just so if she were ever in a situation i could call to get her out of it little things that we do yeah i mean i mean at least
0: personally for me what i'm thinking about mainly in terms of like a new environment is like online dating right you're meeting these random yeah. humans that you haven't met before they might be from shared friends they might not be so like are Are there kind of cases like that that show up, especially since the pandemic?
2: Yes. Um, Not necessarily through online dating, but a lot of Snapchat and Instagram um, where the younger uh, children are meeting up with, you know, either younger, other younger children or older adults um, for, I don't know what it would be, sexual relations or anything. um, Where they run away from home to meet up with this person, the parents report them missing, or they come home and they tell the parents that they've been assaulted. We get, we do get those cases. So it's important to keep tabs on your child. Um, I personally like to research the crap out, out of wherever I'm going. So if I'm going somewhere new, I'm Googling that place. I'm looking for parking spaces. I'm looking for restaurants that I can probably sit at to escape the situation. I'm doing, what is that? The Google Live, Live View. I love that thing because then I tell like I know all the streets by the time I'm there. Wait, Kitty, you do this for every every time you go every somewhere Every time new? I like, go somewhere it... new I'm looking it up. Wow. Not even joking.
1: Yeah, you have to be like you have to be aware. Like honestly I was very trusting of the world. I was the kind of person that like would open the door without even looking in the peephole. Like I grew up in Pembroke, Pines, Florida where nothing really happens and people don't even lock their doors. But then after moving to New York and then all the things that I learned because of two I have learned that like a lot of the times it's just like one second like it's so crazy you know like one second you weren't aware you were on your phone and then you get adopted like it's just like you have to be very present and like always check your back when you're walking like tell your friends where you are you know like sometimes we're too
2: trusting it's always good to be um, to prevent something rather than deal with something afterwards that's why I look up parking spaces because I need to know where to park my car
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no that makes sense i don't know if y'all ever experienced it but i mean there have been instances where i like come back home at night and i remember one time i just had this like sense that i was in danger and so that i was walking down the street going back home and you know they used to live around my neighborhood it was from the train station down that like long block but halfway through i just like felt someone following me and it was just so terrifying and so luckily there was an open Dunkin' Donuts. So I went in there I literally sat there for like a good 30 minutes before I left. But that was like the one instance where I just like knew something
2: was wrong and thank God I did something about it because I have no idea yes.
0: where I would be if I did it.
2: Like Rosa said, you were aware and you were present um, and you did the right thing. A lot of people these days aren't, aren't present. They're on their phones all the time. And so um, that leads to a lot of, um, oh, I didn't i don't I didn't know this person was following me. I don't know what happened. It just happened in a flash, but things things like that happen because you're not paying attention
1: like for example, me, there's something similar to what you just said happened to me, but the thing is like I wasn't paying attention so i in Paris, there's a lot of streets that are really dark um and so I was walking home and it was really late. It's like well, not really late, but it was like eleven, and I was on my phone like listening to music. Also, another thing: don't be listening to music. Like, there's better h- headphones where you can still hear like what goes around around you. Anyway, I was like on my phone and I literally like see like a shadow kind of blocking my way, and I look up and it's this guy, you know, and he's about to like launch at me. He like has this creepiest face ever. He's about to launch at me, and like I'm, um, it was like by Belleville, so uh, it's like a small kind of Chinatown, and like it was like the street that off that street so you know there's like Bellaville is the street of Chinatown and then we're, we're in the other street and there's this group of kids they just were like coming in with their bicycles and the dude like literally was about to lunch at me and he saw that the kids were coming and he just like broke into a run oh past me and it was just like wow like honestly like all the air went out my lungs and I was just like wow but it's like how did I not see this dude that is like literally twice my size coming, you know, until his shadow was like kind of like, he, like his shadow like
0: hovering over, hovering
1: you. my phone, you know, and that's when I kind of like woke up and was like, okay, whoa, you need to be aware of where <laughs> you're going. Shout out to all the kids running around at 11. I don't know why they're even running around. I was so surprised too. Like my second thought was like, what are this these kids doing here? But it's like little angels, you
0: know? Yeah. No. So no, I mean, there were no no stores that were open during that time, really. Was it right.
1: Because also like another thing that like I kinda like don't do that anymore i always used to walk in the streets like parallel to the streets where a lot of people are because i just like hated the food traffic so i would just walk in the parallel street where just like you know residence like houses just to walk faster but now i always walk in streets that are like so there's a lot of food traffic because it's more safe that way learn like live <laughs> i mean and also when you travel a lot you have to be careful who what you say to people you know yeah. So yeah, just to pivot a little, uh, I was thinking about how do you feel about cold cases? You know, now that we have all this technology out there, I think that there's a lot of uh, files of information to like dig out and maybe we can find some information about that. So how do you feel about like helping cold
2: cases or bringing old, um, old cases forward? So cold cases are um, just cases that weren't previously solved that we do still have evidence on. And we do keep evidence for quite some time at the laboratories, at least in property for storage. Um, and with Advancing technology. Every year we come out with new ways to, you know, get DNA profiles, new ways to um, analyze or do DNA testing. We do open cold cases occasionally. um, And I think advanced technology has helped these samples and helped us perfect or improve getting better DNA profiles for entering into CODIS?
1: Because, for example, Joseph James D'Angelo, like Golden State Killer, I actually watched, I mean, read a book about him. Like, i have Be Gone in the Dark, and they haven't caught, they didn't catch him at all. And then now, like 50 years later, because of DNA, uh, they were able to catch him. And now he's in jail.
2: That DNA evidence was improved on because we have more sensitive instruments now. Uh, Just a very brief background. Back then, we use um, DNA kits or DNA typing kits where we only had, um, you know, a few DNA loci. And loci are DNA test uh, t- testing areas on the DNA strand that we use for forensic purposes. Um, we use maybe seven or eight back then. Right now we're up to 24. So it's a more advanced and more discernible, discriminating DNA profile. Um, and we can enter even partial profiles into CODIS and get multiple hits and then follow those investigative leads
1: oh wow so
2: for example like with him i think that also
1: he was like for example prowling before so he was like he had like four different names you know he was like the nine stalker like he started like As a robber, he would go into people's houses and steal in one part of California. Then he moved to another part and he was like a serial rapist. And then he moved to another part of California and he was a serial killer there. So he kind of like grew up. But like all of them were able to like know that they were like uh what's it called working with the same person because actually like uh a uh, uh, forensic biologist figured out that they were all the same dna
2: yes so uh we get multiple we can do that we get multiple um Items from multiple cases, we perform DNA testing, we get DNA profiles, then we we can sometimes match these DNA profiles together. So like I said before, Texas can match to New York, and then we know it's the same guy. And then Texas Police Department can do their research, we do our own research, they share some information. Um, and hopefully they can solve the case um, but yes that is possible and it's great actually um, that they found all of that because like I said DNA instruments are so sensitive now if you were to rub against something I can just swab it and send it for DNA testing and possibly get your DNA profile a, a drop of saliva a drop of blood by the way the drop of blood I will get your whole DNA profile just one drop
0: wait so okay, how about like let's say I rub like my knuckle against like this phone
2: <laughs> so so well, a good example is like um, um, face masks th- these days. Everyone wears them, and if you or or gloves, say you were committing a crime, you broke into a store, you went into someone's yep. cash register, you were wearing gloves, and then after you committed the crime, you left your gloves behind, right? Okay, you didn't right. bleed into them you didn't lick it mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. your hands were rubbing on the inside of the gloves I can take uh. a cutting from that glove submit it for DNA testing and likely get your DNA profile oh
1: insane. you know because I know that like this sleuth like this wannabe Sherlock Holmes like sometimes they're like out there like waiting for people to go out their garbage and go through their garbage <laughs>
2: So, actually, that's interesting that you say that because um, remember, I talked about CODIS eligibility just now? Something that is taken from someone's trash is actually not CODIS eligible. We have done it once, Mm -hmm. that I know of at least, just to. You know, possibly see if this guy's any somehow involved in this case, but you can't enter it for any identification or codis purposes. It is not codis eligible.
0: So it just it so it also means you just can't submit it for
2: evidence either, right? Can it? No, it's going to be evidence, and it and mm-hmm. um, but we just can't. It can't be used for any investigative purposes. Damn, man! All right, no gloves. <laughs> no gloves. I can also find you if you're wearing a hat. You know, earbuds, mm. your glasses. No, that
0: that that may, so any essentially any kind of of item that's like touching your skin in some way
2: yes
1: or your body parts every breath you take every (laughs) move you make (laughs) oh my god but that's awesome because like there's so many things there were so many like cases that probably can be uh finalized because of you know this new technology
2: yes um so uh the instruments again like i said so sensitive they can find that one skin cell and then even give me a profile it's it's great so that's why we reopen cold cases now
1: so I guess Netflix is going to have a lot of money to make because they keep catching all these serial killers and they keep making new series about catching serial killers. Like, have you watched this new one? Well, I know Emily hasn't watched it because she doesn't watch these things, but... Have you watched the the Times
2: Square serial killer or the Torso serial killer? I've heard of the Torso killer um, multiple times. It's actually based in New Jersey. So it's somewhere kind of close to home. But very famous because he, he, he committed most of his crimes in Times Square. I believe most of them were prostitutes. He called these prostitutes to a Times Square hotel. He would do what he had to do with them. And then he would kill them. And I think he would cut off a body part as a trophy.
1: Yeah like for example, the first one, like the first the first time, he like tried to burn the the hotel room where he that he was in, but he just did it because he wanted to be found out and in the hotel room there were two women and they didn't have like their heads they just
2: had their torsos
1: yes we fucking shit so how how many people did he kill
2: a bunch i don't i I think he's convicted for something in the low Mm. double digits maybe um but he says or he claims and people believe that there have been other other killings, like a lot of them that we don't know about. He's a
1: programmer. He like brings us bad name to everyone, to all of us. Yes, he actually
2: he worked for a health insurance company, right? I think it was. Yeah, he
1: worked for a health insurance company as a programmer, and that's why he like his alibi was that he was working while those things were happening. But it was because he was like messing up with the system, so he was like faking the the time that he was working. He was cheating the cook.
0: Oh my god! So how long did it take for them to like fi- finally Years.
2: find him? It was a span of um yeah a span of was it decade a decade or so more than a decade oh, yeah it's crazy and like the the worst thing is like as
1: um as judy mentioned like that because he he was uh what's it called like the killer was uh, targeting prostitutes uh it took longer because no one was like you know calling like no one was like oh yeah they're Party, reporting yeah. they're missing or anything because a lot of them were runaways and stuff like that it's kind of it's kind of like the yes. same thing as, I don't know if you know of the Umbrella Killer. This is like Korea. And he first tried to kill like multiple people. He first tri- tried to kill a group of a family. But then like the whole neighborhood got noticed and they have footage of him. So he stopped. And then he started like trying to harass women in the street. But then he realized was like, no, because then they go missing and their families ask after them. So then he, he started targeting prostitutes because no one was, like, reported them missing. And that's how he got away with, like, doing it for so long. And it's kind of like the same thing with the torso killer. Like, he got away because, like, nobody really, like, cared. And then back in the day, too, back in those times, like, it was, like, the prostitute that got in trouble for, like, you know, for not the solicitor. So the the, the I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, the crime was not on the person that was soliciting prostitution. It was on the prostitute herself
2: or himself. Yes, for selling her body. Yes,
1: so they couldn't even go to the police, you know, because they because then they would be like, "Oh, but what were you there?" And it's like, "Oh well, yeah, I was depressed. I was committing a crime," so they couldn't even
2: say anything. That's crazy. Yeah, crime crime like happens everywhere, and a lot of the stories are similar. Um, like a lot of killers do prostitutes a lot of killers do single single mothers and they have like this group of people that they go after the serial killers it's scary
0: that's insane the only episodes I've watched was related to Ted Bundy which I know was a huge thing like two years ago Uh, the Ted Bundy tapes But And I think that's just insane that someone can disguise themselves for so long and pretend to be a normal human being and kill so many women.
2: Actually, the torso killer, Times Square killer that we were just talking about, he was also a family man with married with a wife, several kids, good job, normal programmer, as you said, Mm. Ted Bundy, handsome guy. Yeah, these people, you never know. They all look normal, and then you you find them out on the news, like, oh, they killed a bunch of people, and you're like, wow, did not know that happened.
1: Can we talk about the women that are, like, groupies for them after they know that he they're a serial killer? Like, what's the thing that, like, freaked me out the most about Tim Bundy is, like, the lady that married him knowing that he had killed so many women?
2: I don't know what it is. I think it's a... Um, a little bit of uh, admiration. But at the same time, there were reports that Ted Bundy was um, charming and um, just, like, so charismatic that women just couldn't, you know, fend him off. Isn't isn't he... I feel like he could be gaslighting them, too. Yes. Yeah. And and women don't know that until after. Yeah, but, I mean,
1: after he's, like literally in jail and you're trying to marry him when he's literally in jail that's already like a level of denial that i don't think
0: you have to jump to the hoops
1: to there yeah but i Mm -hmm. I also feel
0: like unless we're in that situation knock on wood we just never know because the human mind is at times very weak it's the same thing with like getting into cults i watched this recent netflix documentary about like the
1: nyxvm cults um and it's (sighs) have you seen that one yes Oh my god, it's so sad. I've not
2: seen that one. So what? What is it? They they just join cults and they don't realize that it's bad until it's too late. So again, you know, correct me if I'm wrong because I,
0: I watched this a few months ago. But basically, it's a mother and daughter, and be, the daughter at that time was right out of college and didn't really know what to do in terms of job and career. And so her mother signed her up for this like workforce like self development program run under the the guise of the nixium called. And essentially, it's, like, these multiple workshops about women empowerment. But ultimately, what we find out is that it's run by this guy who uses all these women's or select women in that program as a sex cult. So he would brand them, and then he would ask them to engage in sexual activity under the idea that it's actually self-empowering. Like, these women actually believe that.
1: Yeah. But the thing is, like, it didn't start that way, you know? Obviously, like Emily said... It just little by little, it just escalated until it got to the point that they branded themselves.
0: Yeah, and it's it's like the idea that because you're in that community, especially it's like they're targeting weak, vulnerable women who like might not know what they want to do in the direction of their life. And so these group of community, especially that daughter, she met friends through there who built that trust and built that connection. And so actually her friends were the one that convinced her to be branded, to be that, a sex slave. And it's just kind of crazy because then she, like, obviously started isolating herself from her friends, did all these things. And it isn't after, obviously, the police get into it and, like, he gets convicted that she, like, wakes up from it and she's still going through therapy. But it's not, it's not, like, i think the ted bunny tapes they had recordings and things like that this was like an actual reenactment but the per- uh the person who introduced the beginning of that netflix show she was actually i believe the mother so yeah i think it's just so crazy yes and i'm just saying like i feel like if i was in their shoes honestly what do you even know
2: Like you sometimes spur of the moment decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're such a vulnerable place. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, I think the thing is that all these crimes can happen to anybody, and you just can't feel like you're above it because it could be you. So it's always good to be vigilant. Yes, yes, definitely.
0: And yeah, that like thank you so much, Judy, for joining uh this episode i feel like we've learned so much and be able to talk about true crime and all the questions we got to ask you thanks
2: for taking your time to talk with us today Thank you. thanks for having me and i'm definitely gonna watch that netflix documentary you talked about with the cult sounds interesting (laughs) yes please do
0: okay um we'll see you everyone in the next episode Bye. bye